Section 5 of Offhand Sketches. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Offhand Sketches by T.S. Arthur. Section 5 Trying to Be a Gentleman. The efforts which certain young men make on entering the world to become gentlemen is not a little amusing to sober, thoughtful lookers-on. To become is not perhaps what is aimed at, so much as to make people believe that they are gentlemen. For if you should happen to insinuate anything to the contrary, no matter how wide from the mark they go, you may expect to receive summary punishment for your insolence. One of these characters made himself quite conspicuous in Baltimore a few years ago. His name was L., and he hailed from Richmond, we believe, and built some consequence upon the fact that he was a son of the Old Dominion. He dressed in the extreme of fashion, spent a good deal of time strutting up and down Market Street, switching his rattan, boarded at one of the hotels, drank wines freely and pretended to be quite a judge of their quality, swore round oaths occasionally, and talked of his honor as a gentleman. His knowledge of etiquette he obtained from books, and was often quite as literal in his observance of prescribing modes and forms as was the Frenchman in showing off his skill in our idioms when he informed a company of ladies, as an excuse for leaving them, that he had some fish to fry. That he was no gentleman, internally or externally, was plain to everyone, yet he verily believed himself to be one of the first water, and it was a matter of constant care to preserve the reputation. Among those who were thrown into the society of this L was a young man named Briarly, who had rather more basis to his character, and who, although he dressed well and moved in good society, by no means founded thereon his claim to be called a gentleman. He never liked L, because he saw that he had no principle whatsoever, that all about him was mere sham. The consequence was that he was hardly civil to him, a circumstance which L was slow either to notice or resent. It happened one day that the tailor of Briarly asked him if he knew anything about L. Not much, replied Briarly. Why do you ask? Do you think him a gentleman? How do you estimate a gentleman? asked the young man. A gentleman is a man of honor, returned the tailor. Very well, then L must be a gentleman, for he has a great deal to say about his honor. I know he has, but I find those who talk much of their honor don't, as a general thing, possess much to brag of. Then he talks to you of his honor? Oh, yes, and gives me his word as a gentleman. Does he always keep his word as a gentleman? The tailor shrugged his shoulders. Not always, he replied. Then I should say that the word of a gentleman isn't worth much, smilingly remarked Briarly. Not the word of such broadcloth and buckram gentleman as he is. Take care what you say, or you may find yourself called to account for using improper language about this gentleman. We may have a duel on the carpet. It would degrade him to fight with a tailor, replied the man of shears, so I may speak my mind with impunity. 
but if he should challenge me, I will refuse to fight him, on the ground that he is no gentleman. Indeed, how will you prove that? Every man must be permitted to have his own standard of gentility. Certainly. I have mine. Ah, well, how do you measure gentility? By my ledger. A man who doesn't pay his tailor's bill, I consider no gentleman. If L sends me a challenge, I will refuse to fight him on that ground. Good, said Briarly, laughing. I'm afraid if your standard were adopted that a great many who now pass themselves off for gentlemen would be held in little estimation. It is the true standard, nevertheless, replied Shears. A man may try to be a gentleman as much as he pleases, but if he don't try to pay his tailor's bill at the same time, he tries in vain. You may be right enough, remarked Briarly, a good deal amused at the tailor's mode of estimating a gentleman, and possessed of a new fact in regard to L's claim to the honorable distinction of which he so boasted. Shortly after this, it happened that L made Briarly angry about something, when the latter very unceremoniously took hold of the handle on the young man's face and moved his head around. Fortunately, the body moved with the head, or the consequences might have been serious. There were plenty to assure L that for this insult he must, if he wished to be considered a gentleman, challenge Briarly and shoot him if he could. Several days elapsed before L's courage rose high enough to enable him to send the deadly missive by the hand of a friend. Meantime, a wag of a fellow, an intimate friend of Briarly's, appeared in Market Street in an old rusty coat, worn hat, and well-mended but clean and whole trousers and vest. Friend after friend stopped him and, in astonishment, inquired the cause of this change. He had but one answer, in substance, but we will give his own account of the matter as related to three or four young bucks in an oyster house where they happened to meet him. L was of the number. A patch on your elbow, Tom, as I live, said one, and here's another on your vest. Why, old fellow, this is premeditated poverty. Better wear patched garments than old for new ones, replied Tom with great sobriety. Bless us, when did you turn economist? Ever since I tried to be a gentleman. What? Ever since I tried to be a gentleman. I may strut up and down Market Street in fine clothes, switch my rattan about, talk nonsense to silly ladies, swear and drink wine, but if I don't pay my tailor, I'm no gentleman. Nonsense, was replied. There was a general laugh, but few of Tom's auditors felt very much flattered by his words. No nonsense at all, he said. We may put on airs of gentility, boast of independence and spirit and all that, but it's a mean kind of gentility that will let a man flourish about in a fine coat for which he owes his tailor. Wyville has a large bill against me for clothes, Grafton has another for boots, and Cox another for hats. I am trying to pay these off, trying to become a gentleman. Then you don't consider yourself a gentleman now, said one. Oh, no, I'm only trying to become a gentleman, meekly replied Tom, though a close observer could see a slight twitching in the corner of his mouth and a slight twinkle in the corner of his eye.
My honor is in pawn, and will remain so until I pay these bills. Then I shall feel like holding up my head again, and looking gentlemen in the face. The oddness of this conceit, and the boldness with which it was carried out, attracted attention, and made a good deal of talk at the time. A great many tailor's bills were paid in stanter that would not have been paid for months, perhaps not at all. In a few days, however, Tom appeared abroad again, quite as handsomely dressed as before, alleging that his uncle had taken compassion on him, and out of admiration for his honest principles, paid off his bills and made a gentleman of him once more. No one, of course, believed Tom to be sincere in all this, it was looked upon as one of his waggish tricks, intended to hit off someone, or perhaps the whole class of fine tailor-made gentlemen who forget their benefactors. While Tom was metamorphosed, as stated, Briarly was waited upon one day by a young man who presented him with a challenge to mortal combat from the insulted L, and desired him to name his friend. "'I cannot accept the challenge,' said Briarly promptly. "'Why not?' asked the second of L, in surprise. "'Because your principal is no gentleman.' "'What? Is no gentleman?' coolly returned Briarly. "'Explain yourself, sir, if you please. "'He doesn't pay his tailor. "'He doesn't pay his bootmaker. "'He doesn't pay his hatter. "'He is, therefore, no gentleman, and I cannot fight him.' You will be posted as a coward, said the second fiercely. In return for which, I will post him as no gentleman and give the evidence, replied Briarly. I will take his place. You will hear from me shortly, said the second, turning away. Be sure you don't owe your tailor anything, for if you do, I will not stoop to accept your challenge, returned Briarly. I will consider it prima facie evidence that you are no gentleman. I know Patterson very well and will, in the meantime, inform myself on the subject. All this was said with the utmost gravity, and with a decision of tone and manner that left no doubt of the intention. The second withdrew. An hour elapsed, but no new challenge came. Days went by, but no posters drew crowds at the corners. Gradually the matter got wind, to the infinite amusement of such as happened to know L., who was fairly driven from a city where it was no use trying to be a gentleman without paying his tailor's bill. End of section 5. Trying to be a gentleman. Recorded by Tom Barron.